What is happening, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, returning to you kind of live, not really live, but we'll call it live, uh, with an, um, another, excuse me, amazing episode of the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and I'm kicking it on this episode with Phil Nadell, and we just dive into startups. We dive into investing. We dive into uh, what it's like to not only, uh, you know, I kind of take the perspective of being a startup founder myself, not kind of, I do, um, and raising capital. And Phil brings uh, a perspective of what it's like to be an investor in a wide range of companies, uh, being an investor in covering just such a wide range of different companies, founders, investors that he's supported through the years. Um, he's a Wharton guy, but um, not only does he have the brains when it comes to the education, but he's got the brains when it just comes to being a decent human being in a world that's so cutthroat in a world that's uh, so challenging. And I just am, am um, honored to have the chance to have spent any time with him. And Phil, I just want to say a huge thank you to you directly. Um, if you're a startup founder, if you're interested in being a VC, if you're interested in uh, doing some angel investing, I would highly encourage you to listen to this episode um, and follow along with everything that Phil's got going on. This episode, we dive deep into uh, what it's like from both the startup's perspective as well as an investor's perspective. So Phil, thanks a ton and thanks for the impact that you are having on so many lives. Well, Phil, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. So I think uh, from what you just shared uh, before in the recording, you're, you're coming in from uh, sunny, uh, sunny Florida. Is that right? Yes, South Florida. Very sunny today. Absolutely. Beautiful weather here. I love that. I got sunny Michigan, but I think you're probably beating me by 40 degrees is my guess. We're at 82 right now. <laughs> I think I'm probably at 32, so maybe 50 degrees. Oh, sorry <laughs> to hear that. That's all right. We'll suffer through it. So, Phil, obviously, I think we've got a lot to dive into. I'm excited to kind of hear your background on uh, sort of the, the the venture space and investment space. But before we get into any of that, give me a little bit of just give me a little bit of life life background, your story. Would love to hear whatever you're, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Sure, sure. So, um, I, I uh, grew up in South Florida. Um, moved well, moved here from New York when I was uh, 14. So, I went to high school in South Florida. Then went up to uh, to Philadelphia for college at the Wharton School. After uh, graduating from college, I uh, started a business, and um, I've I've never I've, I've only started businesses and only worked for myself uh, since then. Haven't uh, I've never worked for anyone else. So it's been um, you know just an entrepreneurial uh, career so far. I've started and successfully exited several businesses. Uh, in the publishing uh, business, in the finance sector, uh, online uh, e-commerce, and others. And uh, several years ago, after exiting uh, the biggest company I had started, and um, I was approached by friends and, and relatives who were seeking advice and, um, and mentorship and, and some, some initial funding for their businesses. And so I started doing that for a few people I was close with, and um, it worked out pretty well. I mean, it helped. I helped them to grow their companies, both with uh, with advice and with my initial uh, seed capital that I invested, and did that for a while. Worked out well, and uh, and then I started pursuing that type of investing. It started like broadening the circle, if you will, and and investing beyond just people I knew, uh, but really a broader scope. And eventually, probably about 
uh, 15 or 16 years ago, started doing venture capital investing on a full-time basis. And, uh, and so I, I made, made that shift from being a, a founder, entrepreneur, uh, serial entrepreneur to, to being a full-time venture investor. And, um, you know, I always say that, that the, the journey that you go on as, as an entrepreneur is really critical to becoming a, a successful venture capitalist. In other words, I feel like you have to have lived that path and that, uh, that process to really be able to uh, be a successful um, venture capital investor. I know some people would disagree with me, but that's my take on it. Um, and so started doing full-time venture investing, like I said, 15, 16 years ago. And then about um, nine years ago, uh, their uh, angel list, which is, as you probably know, one of the, or the largest um, uh, uh, angel investing or crowdfunding equity platforms, uh, they introduced a, a feature uh, product called um, syndication. And this enabled people like me who had good deal flow and, and did do a lot of due diligence to share deals I'm investing in with uh, angel investors who want to write small checks. Uh, and so I jumped on that opportunity with AngelList and started one of the first syndicates. And now it's one of the largest, uh, most active and most successful syndicates on AngelList. We've been doing it now for more than eight years. Uh, we have uh, 86 companies in the portfolio. And, um, uh, and then about a year ago, we also launched a dedicated fund uh, also through AngelList. So that's sort of the journey that, that I went on to get to where I am uh, today, which is investing in, in great companies through our fund and our syndicate. I, I love it. And I'm going to have, uh, I'm gonna have <laughs> a, a ton of questions on the investment side, but a couple things that I want to go back to uh, throughout kind of this course of your story. So you mentioned that you went to Wharton uh, Business School, is that correct? Yep. Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. Love it. So um, would you say, so this is not anything to do with the actual specific institution of Wharton, but specifically that is obviously a remarkably high caliber uh, institution, right? I mean, one of the top schools. So based upon your path and your trajectory as first an entrepreneur and then a you know more institutional venture capitalist, which is not saying that that's not an entrepreneur in its own right, but it's obviously slightly different. Right. What would you say that you learned at an institution of the caliber of Wharton and um, that helped craft that path? And what would you say was sort of you needed to kind of go through and live that you couldn't have gotten out of uh, in an institutional format or sorry, in an educational format? So what did you learn that you think really helped carve and pave the way? And what do you think uh, you, you can't learn at school? You got to just kind of sort of go through as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, so, uh, I, I agree with your your thesis that there are some things that you can't learn in school and you have to experience for yourself. I certainly uh, believe in that. And so I, I was an entrepreneurial management major as well as being a marketing major. So uh, Wharton uh, at the time was one of the only, maybe the only undergraduate business programs that had an entrepreneurial management 
major. And it was a great major. And I learned a lot of important lessons for, uh, for running a company. And that, a lot of that was through very hands-on sort of experiences with actual um, successful entrepreneurs that our professors brought in uh, to meet with us and also um, consulting opportunities that they made available to us with companies in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I thought that was very valuable. And in terms of the more structured classroom uh, environment, you know, there, there were really good classes that were valuable to me in terms of like finance and accounting, um, sales and marketing, mostly, mostly around marketing. Um, and, um, and, and, and some, and statistics and some of the other things, but ultimately, as you suggested, you, you, you can't really get a true sense for being an entrepreneur until you do it. And so I, I hear from young people all the time and I teach some uh, college classes, uh, now and again, and I, I always advise young folks who are interested in, um, who, interested in a venture capital career. To, to start a business, any business, uh, just start something and, and don't worry about it being super successful and don't worry about it having like a huge addressable market. Just start something like in college or even before college. I had many, many businesses in college and before college. So that, that sort of, you know, gets you some early small time experience. And then you learn from that and build from there. And, and, you know, one th- one skill set that they it's really hard to teach in school or really hard to teach sort of without actual experience is sales. And as you know very well, no company is successful without sales. And you have to uh, learn how, how to sell. And, and any, any founder, any CEO, even a, a technical founder needs to have some sales skills. You need to be able to, uh, to communicate persuasively and share your message, uh, uh, of your company's message in a very, um, compelling manner. And so that's an important lesson that's very hard to teach in school. And that's one you learn just sort of by, by doing, and then just sort of the hustle and, and the daily ups and downs that come with, with running a company you learn by doing. So, um, so I think it's a good combination to go to a, you know, go to a business school and, and learn what you can there, but then ultimately, uh, you know, you have to do it to, to learn, to learn it all. I love it. And, uh, Phil, I'm going to give you a little, uh, so I typically try to make the entire podcast about you, but I want to give you a little of my background so that, um, you can get a little bit of some of the areas that I'm asking some questions on. So similar, as you mentioned, uh, starting a bunch of businesses before college and during college. So I, 15-year-old chubby neighbor kid, started push mowing some lawns. And your comment around sales, like I had a mower and I went and knocked on people's doors and asked to mow their lawn or spread some mulch. And that experience to this day is one of the greatest School of Hard Knocks lessons is, yeah, knock on the door and you sit there and sort of this little bit nervous, a little bit excited. Somebody opens up the door and then boom, you got to deliver that pitch. Um, That to me is still one of the greatest um, lessons or experiences that I ever went through. And we, so the lawn care continued to grow. And so I think by the time 
I started when I was 15. By the time I was 18, I had hired my first full-time employee. And the, the second, one of the more challenging lessons that I learned was how to deliver quality uh, at scale. And when I say scale in that context, like to me, it was the first step of I'm no longer doing all the mowing or I'm no longer doing delivering all the service. I'm now teaching and coaching somebody to do it the way either I would do it or better. Right. And so that was a remarkably amazing, challenging kind of letting the reins go, but also experience. And then kind of fast forward, I had a chance to sell the lawn care, which then led me into Wedge, which is an HR tech company. And I went from sort of bootstrap sort of every single day I'd save some money till I could buy more equipment model to then going down the angel investment route. And one of the favorite things, this is actually reinforcing that you said, so I certainly don't have any magnitude of wealth or anything like that. I hope to one day, but I've started to kind of take some chunks of cash and start to make my own sort of investments, both as an educational front, but also it sort of forces me to understand things from the other side um, that when we're out there raising capital and we're out there going through different angel rounds and we just kind of finished our first kind of pre-Series A round uh, about a month ago, I now have, again, not a perfect, certainly no sophisticated investor approach, but I now have a much better understanding because I've made some investments myself. It is a wildly different world than what you think. And sometimes you just kind of have to go through it and have a few losses. Obviously, you hope every investment makes money, but they certainly don't. Um, but anyway, so... I wanted to give you a little bit of that background purely because there's going to be some areas that I want to ask you some questions that might 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 uh, might come from that if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I had similar experiences when I was a kid, similar to your lawn care uh, company. And you know, you're absolutely right. Where um, standing in front of the the front door and waiting for someone to answer the door and getting nervous and getting ready to make your pitch. Um, teaches you an awful lot. But I would also say that getting the door slammed in your face also teaches you a lot. And, <laughs> That's, it's, 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 it's the truth. I mean, on, on, and the funny thing is most people think, all right, I'm ready to go start a business and I'm going to go just reach out to people and they're going to say yes. Uh, truth be told, I probably out of 50 people that I knocked the, you know, knocked on the door, half of them, you know, it's like cold calls, half of them don't even answer. Uh, the other, you know, of the remaining half, half of those say, nah, we're not interested or we're not looking. Some people say, mm, tell me how you could do better than my current service. And then maybe one, two, five, 10, whatever the number is, say yes. I mean, that's, that's the harsh reality of selling. Yeah. So yeah. if you can't, you know, if you can't develop a thick skin uh, as a salesperson, it's going to be really, really hard to succeed. You have to, you can't take those rejections personally, you have to know that it's just a numbers game and you have to keep, you know, keep making those sales calls, whether it's in person or over the phone and, and, and trying to maybe hone your message a little bit better and, uh, and narrow your target market a little bit better. But, but ultimately you have to just keep pounding away and, 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 and making sales. And not to mention uh, a no is not always a no. Sometimes it's a not now, even if the person says no. I mean, so I, would somebody would say yes, and then they and I would go knock on the neighbor's door, and they would say no, we have a great service. And then a year or two years later, they would say, hey, you know, we see you out here, and uh, we'd like for you to you know come do this project for us or mow our lawn or whatever. And so a lot of times a no at the time is not typically a no. It's a not now, come back later. And that's why, like I think there's a lot of folks in my experience that have a very short sighted 
relationship attitude. It's, hey, you said no, okay, I'm never going to revisit it. In fact, most people say no to begin with, but if you you know keep obviously developing a relationship, having respect, being helpful outside of just providing them a service that you're asking money for, those are the people that come around full circle and say, you know what, let's let's move forward. So absolutely, yeah, I agree. So all right, back to back 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 to kind of your direction of so. I sort of listening to you share the uh, entrepreneur experience then to the venture capital experience. I, in some ways, and I, I want your feedback on this analogy, I some ways kind of e equate it to um, athletes and coaches. There are some amazing coaches that were terrible athletes, but they're really, really, really good coaches. So I kind of say there are plenty of really sophisticated, intentional investors that would make terrible entrepreneurs, but really good investors. There are also some really, really, really good entrepreneurs that make terrible investors, right? I think a Michael Jordan might not be the best coach sort of thing. So of that sort of analogy, how would you, would you say that that's, uh, would you say that it's for, for, for most folks out there similar in the sense of coach versus athlete? Would you say that there's difference, maybe some misses to that? Well, I, I, I think the analogy holds up for the most part. I think that, um, as I said earlier, any anyone who goes into venture capital would benefit from having been an entrepreneur, uh, even if they were unsuccessful, maybe especially if they were unsuccessful. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I think like first on a human level, it gives you the the, the ability to better relate to the founders you're speaking with and potentially investing in uh, and that building that relationship and being able to relate to them and the, and the struggles that they're having and how you can help all of that is, is really important. So I think, you know, whether you're a successful or unsuccessful entrepreneur, the experiences that you have will help you become a more successful venture capital investor. Um, so I agree that that's, you know, that not all entrepreneurs who are successful would, would, could be or would be successful uh, investors. Um, it doesn't doesn't work that way. But uh, but but I think that the experience is important. Um, and I think uh, it I think it's it's the experience as a venture capitalist, like you were alluding to earlier, is helpful as an entrepreneur to have that perspective as well, to have the investor's perspective. Um, so I think the the skills um, work both ways, you know, but I think it's actually I think you get more uh, going from entrepreneur to to venture capital investor versus the other way around. No, I love that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um Obviously, with whatever you feel comfortable sharing, what would you say was, and you don't necessarily have to name names, um, you can you can give sort of experiences or, or uh, timing of things, but what would you say was your most fun investment through all the years? And this also could be companies you started too. And secondly, what would you say was the most challenging investment and or company that you started through the years? Ah, uh, boy, fun investment. Well, I mean, for me, a fun investment is an investment that that does very well. 
Uh, <laughs> so I mean, pretty 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 straightforward. <laughs> I, I mean, I, look, there are other other uh, intangibles that are also important. Like I, I really, I'm very fortunate that I really like and have a great relationship with almost all of the founders that we invested in. Um, and, you know, that part of that is that we get to know the founders very well before we invest and we're less likely or fairly unlikely to invest in folks, you know, we don't see eye to eye with. Um, so I, I have a, you know, a, just a fantastic uh, group of founders we, we've invested in. So I, I enjoy the interactions with almost all of them. Um, We've, ha we've been very, very lucky uh, to have some big successes in the portfolio. Uh, one of our first big success stories is a company called Grove Collaborative. Um, Stu Landisberg is a great guy. He's the founder of the company. I've known him now for many years since we invested. And um, the company announced back in December that they're uh, going public by merging with one of Richard Branson's SPACs. And so that's very exciting. That I was about to say that's uh, that's that's not that's not definitely <laughs> that's a fun one for sure. That's a fun one, and they'll be hopefully publicly traded uh, very soon once the the merger deal is is done. Um, but we've had you know other big successes too. I'm an investor in Calm, the meditation app, um, and that that company has really done well. That's another unicorn. Grove is a unicorn. Uh, Grin is another company. Uh, we've had a, a lot of success with that's also a unicorn. So, you know, I look at success in a few ways. One is, um, you know, how is the company done? Uh, and, and the second thing is, you know, is just what, what do I think of the of the journey or the the, the path that the uh, the team, the founding team has taken? And, you know, what kind of relationship? do I have with them and, and how, if at all, how have I been able to impact them and help them? Um, and so, I mean, that goes, you know, to, to sort of my reason for doing this, which is to help entrepreneurs, right? So if, if I can combine those things, if I can help entrepreneurs I, who I really like to succeed and, and then they do succeed, then that's like the, the, the home run. If I can hit all those check marks, um, so you know, being able to to contribute something to help them, to be able to have a great relationship with the founders, and then for them to to be successful. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, what would you say? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the caveat of outside of like the very obvious things like people you like doing the right thing, integrity, like, and I'm not, I'm not undermining those, but what would you say is a, uh, maybe a unique to you or a quality that you look for in entrepreneurs? And then secondly, through your years and experience of investment, what would you say is a quality that is consistent that maybe surprised you or you wouldn't have thought about when you first started investing, if that makes sense? Well, I'm not sure I understand the second part, but let me try to address the question. Um, so one thing that I really respect about entrepreneurs, well, I'll give you a, a few a few things. One is is 
don't don't I don't like when when entrepreneurs sugarcoat things and and try to um, embellish uh, to put it nicely uh, on, on what they're you're saying. You, come on now, you're saying that happens. Uh, it does, and, and I, can well, only... I, know, I know everything is about sales, and I expect that they're trying to to, to sell their company idea to me and the and an investment in the company to me. I get that, no problem. But if I ask a pointed question, uh, like what is your current annual revenue run rate? I want a direct uh, answer that's accurate. And so I value accuracy and transparency when it when it comes to the numbers, especially when it comes to KPIs. There are, there are lots of companies, like if I, ask the, if I ask some entrepreneurs, what's your current annual revenue run rate? Some entrepreneurs will answer that question and say, we'll be at $2 million by the end of this year. <laughs> well, that's not what I asked. I want to know what your run rate is as of now. And so <laughs> I don't like that kind of, you know, cutesy answer where they're trying to sort of embellish it. I mean, do you really think like I'm going to say, oh, OK, I don't need to really know the number today. I'm happy knowing that you'll be at two million in a year. No, I mean, that's not what what I'm looking for. And I don't think that that's the basis for building a trust relationship. Uh, I want to have trust in the founders we invest in and I want them to trust me. And that part of that is transparency and and telling me the truth about where the company is right now. What are, what are your areas that you're struggling with? What, I mean, if they say everything is, is peachy keen and there are no areas they're struggling with, I don't believe it because I've been (laughs) down that path. I've been on the journey and every entrepreneur struggles with something or multiple things. So don't tell me there are no struggles. Tell me what they are and let me see if it's an area or those are areas I can help with. And, you know, that's sort of how you build that trusting relationship. It's, you know, so yes, I get that it's sales. I get that they're trying to convince me to invest and and I'm okay with that. But the best way to do that, I think, is to be really um, transparent and to share actual in data and KPIs about what's going on today and just be, you know, be truthful and, and, and forthcoming. Um, it's, and, <laughs> it's sorry. Keep going. Didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. No, that's all right. <laughs> so and, I, it, I it's, 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 I was just going to add one other thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, please. No, um, no, please do. Yeah. I think that the other thing I would say is that I think it's important for founders to really have conviction about their their vision or their mission of the company, but not to the point of arrogance. Um, so I look for founders who have conviction, but are still coachable and are open to listening to a differing opinions and different approaches and are will, will keep an open mind about those approaches and and change their approach when it's appropriate. Again, not trying to change their mission of the company or their big picture vision, but they have to know 
when it's advisable to adjust and pivot uh, and not be so arrogant to think that they have all the answers all the time. That's that's important, too, I think. Yeah. And I I'll uh, I'll be the uh, I'll be the first to admit. So since uh, starting Wedge, I did a napkin five and a half, probably six years this summer. I, for the first few years, and I would even say up until it's probably taken four years for me to get out of the things are fantastic. Everything's going well. Um, you know, here's some areas of improvement, but never like a, this sucks and this is really hard. And I, I don't know if it's a, and, and it's, it's both refreshing. And it's also, I, I laugh because I was totally the rah, rah positive all the time, which is good in pitching and it's good in, you know, you got to have energy and you got to have some optimism. But at the same time, it took me a long time for, especially my earliest stage investors, for me to feel safe. And, and it's, it was more like kind of the imposter syndrome of you're out there doing it and things might not be happening as fast as you want them to, or maybe promises that you thought on your projections, you're not hitting. And so how do you balance this? Hey, you got to give it to you, there are people that are supporting you and investors. You got to you got to be honest. You got to be straightforward. But also, it's like this kind of scary reality. And then there's such like a, a breath of fresh air when you can go to an investor, whether it's angel, institutional, a mentor, whatever it may be, and just say, "Look, this is this sucks, and I don't know how to handle this." And I have yet to ever experience anybody who is an investor of mine or. Um, a mentor of mine or advisor of mine who've been like, yeah, that's such a big problem. I want to remove myself entirely. In fact, in my experience, the opposite has reigned true is they've actually, that's like the time they've leaned and been like, let's work th through this together. This is a great problem to solve. I'm not turned off by that at all. Like right. that in my experience, like I, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And as somebody who's sort of living in this perfect in between of overly optimistic at times and not afraid to now deliver very direct news that sometimes is not always great. I have always experienced folks that are very much like, yeah, that's a problem, but that's okay. Let's, let's get through this. And so I, I appreciate immensely you saying that. And I also want kind of folks listening to this. And it's something that I've tried to preach a little bit now too, is like early stage folks, especially like they're here to see you win and they're taking a big bet. And it's not like their life savings are on it, or at least you hope not, right? The investors are kind of like, hey, these are things that I, I want to help. I want to I want to partake. I want to I want to help see you to the next stage. They're not people who are constantly looking for every wart or looking for, to see you fail. They want to see you win. And so if you can just be honest with them and walk through your issues together with them, again, not, just to repeat and reiterate the fact that I've, I've experienced that and tried my best to make that turn because I definitely was the, the fluff person to begin with. Yeah. So I think I'm glad you shared that. I think the, the it's great to be optimistic and to be positive, but you also have to be you know sort of realistic and uh, and and honest with yourself and with your investors, and um, and that, and be and and be willing to be vulnerable. Uh, and being vulnerable means saying that I'm struggling with this particular thing, or like you said this part of the business or this thing that I'm doing sucks right now and I need help. Being able to say I need help is very challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs 
I understand that you want to be the, the, the person with all the answers who, you know, keeps moving forward and, and keeps solving problems. But, you know, lean on your investors and others, other mentors who've been through the same kinds of issues, same kind of problems and learn from them. That's the sign of a really smart entrepreneur, I think. Um, yeah. And, and just to, you know, sort of take it one step further. We see this play out a lot in um, investor communications. Uh, so some companies, the best companies, are very, very good about and structured about their investor reporting. In other words, they'll say, we send an investor update every month on the 10th day of every month, come hell or high water. It doesn't matter if we're doing badly or great, if we've had a good month or not so good month, we are going to keep our investors informed and updated on the good, the bad, the ugly. We're not going to paint, you know, an overly optimistic picture. We'll give it to them straight. And most importantly, we're going to use that communication venue as an opportunity to ask for help. We're going to, to recruit our investors to help us. And too many entrepreneurs hide when things aren't going well. But the opposite is really the best approach. When things aren't going well, that's when you need help from your investors and others. And that's when it's really important that you've been communicating. And don't just start communicating when things are good or when things are bad. You should communicate as a founder all the time. And that's how you build trust with your investors and communication. And they are, to a small degree, on the journey with you up and down every month or every quarter when they get the updates. They know what you're going through. And when you ask for help, they'll be much more willing to give of themselves and to help you. And this is a message I try to, uh, to get across to founders all the time, the importance of investor updates and reporting and and sharing with your investors not just the good but all of it and asking for help and being vulnerable so that's i think those are really important things i love it i love it and i so i i in our business i've started to monthly i send uh, on the first of the month or first or second day of the month i send a good bad and ugly target goal for this month from a one bullet point, here's my goal for sales, here's my goal for product, here's my goal for marketing, here's my goal for team. Boom, boom, boom. And it's been astonishing how great feedback I get, good, bad, or ugly. It's, hey, I can introduce you to the so-and-so, or hey, can we talk about this? I might be able to help, or whatever it might be. Or it's just, hey, thanks for the update, appreciate it. And then quarterly, I send a little bit more in depth. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's just like, hey, here's a little bit more state of the union. And it's, I have really enjoyed that cadence. It's not that much work and it's actually easier to do that every single month than it is to try to write these very glamorous or, or well put together decks or PowerPoints or whatever quarterly, you know, twice a year because the short bullet points keeps people informed as much as they want to be in my experience. So I, I, I love that. Um, I agree with you. So Phil, for 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 uh, the state life cycle stage that you're at right now, what what are deals that are not necessarily specifics of like 
revenue or anything like that, but like what, what, what's getting you fired up uh, from an investment standpoint or supporting entrepreneurs? Like what, what's keeping you, keeping you, you know, excited, fired up in the game with where you're at now? Well, I mean, there are a lot of really cool technologies that get me excited, but, but the main like thesis, ongoing thesis throughout the years and despite whatever technologies are in vogue, is this idea that I live by, which is, um, you know, companies that are trying to uh, solve a significant pain point um, in a differentiated, unique, better way in a very large addressable market. Uh, and, and so that's sort of, those are sort of like three like bullet points, right? There, it's it's got to be a significant pain point. It's got to be a large addressable market. And they've got to be solving the problem, the pain point in, in a better, a, a significantly better way than anyone else. Um, and so fortunately there are lots and lots of companies that are doing that. And what's so much fun about my job is, is seeing all the interesting applications of that, right there. So there are so many verticals, so many sectors that are still, um, way behind technologically, they're using Excel or they're using pen and paper, and they're they're archaic and they're not up to up to date, and therefore they're not as productive or as efficient as they could be. And these companies come along and they just disrupt and revolutionize certain verticals with with smart applications of technology, um, and and so that to me is like sort of the essence of what gets me fired up. When I see a company that's doing that, it, it just, it gets me excited and it gets me thinking of new applications for their, their product and new ways that they can, they can use it to help other companies. It just gets, gets my wheels turning. Um, <laughs> of course, you know, from, from a, again, from a tech standpoint, there are always, exciting new technologies. It's really the application of those technologies in smart ways that that appeals to me. I mean, they're like, take artificial intelligence. I mean, there are there are lots and lots of companies that are talking about artificial intelligence and how they're using it. There are there's a much smaller subset of those companies that are using it in a smart way, in a meaningful way. And so, like trying to separate the the signal from the noise uh, when it comes to to that technology is is important for me. And I'm less concerned with the fact that they're using AI than I am with you know how are they solving a real problem. And if they're solving a real problem using AI, or if AI is the best way to solve that problem, then great, fantastic. But if there's some other low tech way that's even better, then don't use AI just because it sounds good and it sounds high tech <laughs> and you're trying to attract investors. Use the way whatever method is best for serving your customers, helping your customers uh, succeed and, and become more productive, profitable, efficient. So that's that's sort of, you know, so that's like the same thing goes for like blockchain technologies. You know, every company, we're using the blockchain for this and that. And that. Okay, is it a smart application of blockchain? There are smart applications of it and there are dumb applications of it. 
And, you know, I'm just interested in finding the ones that are really focused on solving their customers' problems. And if blockchain's the best way, great. I love that. Progress for the sake of progress doesn't make any sense. If you're actually solving problems, it's the best way to do it. Like at the end of the day, the sexiness of AI and machine learning or blockchain, if it doesn't actually solve problems, it's useless. And it's not like, no, I, 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 can, uh, I can totally relate. Um, similar vein, but my, my, my favorite question in the world, and this is probably more of on, on, on the personal side, but also in business is at the end of the day, what, what's getting you, out, getting you out of bed in the morning? Well, I sort of alluded to it earlier, right? I, I just love working with helping uh, entrepreneurs and founders. I mean, I've been through the, that journey, that struggle many times. I know it well, and uh, I feel like I can help a little bit in some way, uh, not just with capital, but with introductions, with strategic advice and guidance, and not just me, but through our, our syndicate. We have a very large, well-connected group of, of syndicate investors and we look for companies. I look for companies where to invest in where we can add a lot of value beyond just the capital because capital, you know, is a commodity and they can get capital from a lot of different places. But the reason why a lot of companies want us to be on their cap tables is because we bring a lot of value beyond that, uh, beyond the capital. We, we, we will make a lot of customer referrals. We will provide strategic advice. We will help them to recruit and hire talent. Um, you know, we'll, we'll help with a lot of different things that other investors aren't able to help with. And that's because of our really large and well-connected network. So, but for me personally, it's getting the opportunity to work with founders, help them achieve their goals, help them become successful, which of course in turn helps uh, my investment do well. Uh, in my investment in their company perform well. So, I mean, to me, that's what's very, very gratifying. I mean, I used um, I, I used the example earlier of, of Grove Collaborative and Stu Landisberg. I mean, you know, the first time I met with Stu, uh, you know, the, the company was just getting started and, and was struggling. And, and I, I shouldn't say they were struggling, but but they were early on and they, and they had plenty of challenges before them. Um, and now... Uh, you know, they're killing it. Now they're doing great. And it's so gratifying uh, to me to see that Stu and the company have succeeded and that I played a, a tiny little role in that success, I hope, uh, is gratifying to me personally. I love that. It's such a good story. Um, well, Phil, seriously, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Um, is there any, well, I guess for, for people that want to kind of follow along, either whether it's, um, learn more about some of your syndicate investings, follow along to some of your materials, uh, or, you know, just connect with you. What's, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, our website is forefrontvp.com. So forefrontvp.com is a good way. Uh, you can find me through AngelList, of course, uh, Forefront Venture Partners, or uh, I use LinkedIn quite a bit. And so Phil Nadell, N-A-D-E-L on LinkedIn, you can find me there. Um, and I would love to connect with any of your listeners, whether they're interested in investing or if they're founders, either way, happy to, to connect with them and uh, see if I can uh, help them in any way. I love it. Well, Phil, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Matt, it's been my pleasure. You, you really uh, asked some great questions. It's been a pleasure uh, being on with you.
you just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.